We're taking a break today from our sermon series we've been on. If you've been with us this year, you know we've been kind of going through the Bible, kind of the biblical narrative, the biblical stories of the Bible. And today we are taking a pause from that. I told you from the beginning that we would indeed take a break from the series once in a while because otherwise we're going to be in the same journey for like 30 years, you know, especially at the pace I'm going, we're going to be here forever. So um, I told you that at certain strategic times we'll take a pause. And today is one of those pauses because we just kind of finished up the story of Moses. So we thought we'd kind of move on past, um, past um, that. And I know that some of you have given us a lot of feedback and you're like, man, I've really enjoyed the stories. I've really enjoyed the, the, the material. And the good news is we're going to get back to it after this. But this is one of those one-off Sundays where I'm stepping away from the series to talk about something else. So if you like that, come on back. But today, I want to share something different with you. And honestly, it's an important message today. Hopefully they all are. That's why we bring them. But I have tried, and I, here's a little insider look here. I've, I've practiced this sermon like five times this uh, week to, to try to make it shorter because I know we had extra festivities, like the special just now and Mother's Day Focus and some things later on. So because of that, I wanted to make it um, you know, shorter. And I was unable to do so all five times. It's a normal length sermon, which is fine, except we have extra stuff today. So look, if, now I'll tell you the truth. If you had a better communicator here than me, he, it could be communicated more clearly than I can and in a shorter time frame. But you have me, okay? So that's just how that, that, that ball has fallen into your court, and I'm sorry. But anyhow... Um, today I'm going to ask you for a little grace here because I might because between my normal length message and all the other stuff, it might be a few extra minutes getting out today. Just telling you that up front, okay? But uh, hopefully that'll be okay. If not, you can throw eggs at me later. But um, or or one of the deacons if you prefer. I, I'd prefer you throw them at the deacons too. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question here as we get started. Have you ever wrestled? Have you ever wrestled with the thought? Before I ask, some of you are going to say, no, I haven't. Maybe not yet. Have you ever wrestled with the thought of why God would have an opinion about how you should live if he is so loving? Like, if he has unconditional love. Like, why, then, then why would God have an opinion about how anyone else should live if he is so loving? Like, if he truly just loves us unconditionally, why why the instructions? Why the warnings? Why those verses in Scripture? Why the things that we hear said? If God's so loving, are these, are these contradictory ideas that, that, that people are trying to promote? That God has a lot of opinions and instructions and thoughts, and also God is supposed to be so amazingly loving. And here's the thing. Both of those concepts can be found. You can find scripture. Well, you, can find, you can find a scripture verse for anything, quite honestly, whether it's right or wrong, but you can find something to, to, to spin. But there, you find scripture for any, both of these ideas. And depending on your upbringing and faith or whatever else you, you may have experienced, you may have a hard time with some of these concepts because you may have always heard a pretty harsh version of God presented to you. And so instructions and warnings sounds like the God that doesn't feel very loving. Or you may have been around and heard, heard some other things from God, such as, you know, maybe you just got the idea that he's just loving and doesn't care what we do. And here's what I want to say about that. Um, I want to help all of us today with a perspective that I hope is worth our time. 
But before I get into that, I want to just um, say I really want to speak to two groups of people especially. I have a special desire to help those who have come to live in fear and doubt about God's love because of maybe your upbringing or you know, what things you've heard or things you feel in your personality or maybe it's nature, maybe it's nurture, but you would fear God, you fear he doesn't love you because of the things that you've done or you may do and it will sacrifice his love or you doubt his love for you because of, of, of that. I want to I especially speak to you and I want to speak to those who, on the other hand, maybe because of that have learned to push against God's instructions or pushed against God's warnings as, as with, with a little bit of an anger to the idea that he shouldn't have such, he, 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 that's not who he is or he doesn't have opinions about what I do. He just always only loves. And I want to kind of help all of us just maybe push away through those emotions that have come to us through the years. So I want to be clear this morning with two statements that I've kind of already alluded to. Two statements that seem contradictory but are equally and simultaneously true. Before I give them to you, I want to say that you cannot begin to understand these statements as being equally and simultaneously true until you first decide what is the essence and central characteristic of God. Because God has a lot of characteristics. God has a lot of, you know, he's holy and just and righteous and truthful and un unchanging and, and on and on we can go about God, Right? So what's his central, most defining essence? If it's some kind of version of he's right, you know, and, 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 and some of his most holy attributes is the center essence of him, depending on how you've had that defined for you, it could easily paint a picture of God where it's intimidating and you've got to kind of squeeze in the love around the edges. Like, you know, God is, if you come to God and you're, you, you crawl and you squirm and admit that you're a worm and grovel just right, then God will see that and be benevolent and so show you that he's merciful to such people. You know, if that's the kind of take you have on God, maybe that's a harsh way of wording it, but some people, that's almost their worldview because of how they've heard God presented in what they've read or heard or taught, been taught. Some people believe that, especially for others. But what is God's, of all of God's many attributes, what is his defining central one? And I believe today it is his love at the center core of it all. And that's not my opinion. That's the, that's the teaching. That's what, that's what John, the disciple of Jesus, remember Jesus when he came, Jesus came down as God in a bod and walked this earth and did all the cool stuff he did and showed us the heart of the Father as the Son of God and showed us how, how loved we are. And then he went and, and got ready to, uh, he said all along that he was going to die for our sins and, and, and pay the price for all our wrongdoings to bring us and show us forgiveness. And then he was going to rise again from the dead three days later. And no one understood that. And no one um, believed that. And then he went and pulled it off and validated who he said he was. And now we spend the time 2,000 years later gathering in his name and worshiping him. But John, who was right next to him for several years, wrote about him later, and over and over again, John would say that God is all about God's love. In fact, he said exactly this way two times. John wrote, God is love. Not God has love or God is loving, although he is. But they said God is love. That God, The essence of God is love, and the essence of love is God, and that that is the intrinsic core value of his being. 
And everything drives from that. And if you have any other core value of God, it can drive some really funny theology. And we've seen that a lot in the church world, I guess. But here's the thing. With that central idea in mind and understanding, there are two statements that are equally and simultaneously true about God. They are not contradictory, they're the same. And that is this. And the first statement is that God's love is unconditional. That God loves and accepts you. And I know that for some people in church, especially religious people, they don't like putting the word acceptance and God too close together because they're afraid that they're going to give people they don't like a pass or something. So we don't want to do that. So, but here's the thing. That's what it is. It's acceptance. Because that's what unconditional means. It means without condition. That God's love is unconditional. It's bigger and deeper and more amazing than we, than we hope it can be. And sometimes then we want to let it be for some people, but the danger there is if we don't let it be deeper for others, then we always have to wonder if it's really deep enough for us, unless we're just narcissistic, I guess. Ultimately, God's love is unconditional for all of us. Second statement, simultaneously equally true, is that actions have consequences. That actions have consequences. That second statement right there reflects the love of God in creation and in nature. That God in his love created the world and created us and he gave us life and freedom of choice. And I know freedom of choice is a big concept that we can go on about because sometimes we lay blame at God because choice leads to consequences and we blame the consequences of people's choices and say if God is good or if God is there, then why are these things happening to others or to me or to other people? And they happen because of consequences that come from choice. And we might hate that or blame God or others for that. But ultimately, we all value the freedom of choice. We all do. Maybe we'd like to be able to play a game where we can have one and not the other. But all of us at the core value our freedoms that God has given us. But he put us in a world that he made out of love. And that's a whole sermon in itself, so I'll move along. But he made, he made us in love, and he said, I'm going to put you in a big sandbox that has special laws that govern your playground. And some of those laws in the world we live are physical laws, and some of them are spiritual laws, Right? Physical laws, scientific people have tried to figure out ways to put words around the physical laws of the world God created for us. So they come up with laws like the law of thermodynamics or the three laws of motion from Newton did. Like objects in motion tend to remain in motion unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. Science class, here we come, right? Or the laws of gravity and how uh, objects attract magnetically. The bigger they are, the more strong that is. And how the earth that we live on, it, it, it brings a gravitational pull towards its center. And we understand that. We put words around that because it's a thing. Whether we word it right or not, it's still a thing. So we try to scientifically verbalize those laws. But there are also spiritual laws. And, and, and people look at the spiritual laws and we try to verbalize the spiritual laws too. For example, here's a, in the scripture, there's fam a famous one that says you reap what you sow. Or in modern terms, what you plant is what you harvest. Like if you plant tomato seeds, don't be like shocked when you grow tomatoes. Like, oh, what in the world? I so something different was coming. You know, that's, that's just how it works. And so when we make good decisions in life or bad decisions or we're nice or we're not or we're, whatever happens, we reap what we sow. We harvest what we plant. 
or some people, you know, th th those words were written in ancient times to people who were very agricultural, so they understood that. But most of us understand that on a gardening level. But there's also other phrases we use to describe that law of nature, like karma, perhaps some people would say, or the boomerang effect, what goes around comes around, or maybe just as simple as actions or choices and decisions lead to outcomes. Actions have consequences. It's just a way of us trying to spirit, verbalize the spiritual laws of the world like we verbalize the physical laws of the world. That's just how it works down here. And that's not a contradiction. That's just an equally true statement alongside of God's love. It's like another statement I've always heard where someone says, you play stupid games and win stupid prizes. Now, I know that's a snarky comment some people say to somebody else, but I'm not, I don't mean to be snarky. I mean, for myself, I was like, come on, Arlen. Don't do that. Come on, Arlen. You play stupid games, you'll win stupid prizes, right? I mean, that's a fair assessment of the statement, actions have consequences. That's just how it works. Now, for example, so let me just make it practical for a minute. If, you, husbands, if you're a husband and you go off and cheat on your wife and she finds out, you can't go to her and say, oh, no, honey, you can't be upset with me because God loves me unconditionally. Because she's going to say to you, well, I'm glad somebody does. I'm going to send you to meet him right now, right? Or, um, you know, when she, when she leaves you or when she makes, you know, your life gets very complicated because of, that, of what you did, you can't say, God, I don't understand why this is so hard now. I thought you loved me. God's like, I do love you, sir. I loved you before you did that. I loved you while, I loved you after, while you did it. I loved you after you did it. And I love the people that you hurt, the people that are affected by it. And I love you. You hurt yourself. And I love you. I love you. Unconditionally. But your actions lead to consequences. That's just how it works. If I go off and kill someone, tell the judge, hey, time out. God loves me unconditionally. Why am I in prison? God, I thought you loved me. God's like, I do. I loved you before. I love you now. I'll love you always. But your actions have consequences. That's just how the world works. And I know that you're like, well, duh, Arlen. We get that. But here's what I'm trying to say. Sometimes in our faith journey, we kind of get tense with God when someone comes with a weight of saying, God is trying to tell us, hey, be careful about your actions because your actions have consequences. We're like, well, hold on now. No, God's just love. Yes, those two things are both true. It's kind of like I have with me a resistance band up here to help me illustrate this. Now, uh, I know Phil Needler, you always watch this online, probably right now, maybe later. So Phil's, is, Phil's a personal trainer. And um, Phil, you'll be proud to know I still have my resistance bands. Just don't ask me how much I use them, please. But I do have them, okay? Just want to make that clear. So um, it's kind of like a resistance band that you have two pillars of, of concepts that are both true. Both of them are true, and yet sometimes it feels like a stretch in our minds to understand both of them, to wrap around both of them at the same time. feels like a stretch. So it's very easy for us just to kind of, kind of hang out on one side or the other. To kind of be like, oh, no, I'm all about, you know, and a lot of people in religion are this way. They're all about the actions have consequences message. That's the center of it all right there. And the other is true, but basically this is the, my driving message. Actions have consequences. On the flip side of the coin, there are people who just kind of sit in the space of, oh, man, God just loves and accepts us all and love is unconditional. And that's true. Both things are true. And, and so instead of just kind of going one side or the other, you may have to kind of stretch the thinking to understand both of those concepts are equally and simultaneously true. That's part of the same package of God's love. Now, 
That might stretch how we see it, especially if we've seen it, especially if we've seen someone illustrate it poorly, someone who kind of pushed, you know, the actions of consequences mantra so hard that we didn't feel very much love. We didn't want to just stay on the other end and say, uh-uh. Or perhaps we've seen people that we feel are just like, you know, too, too permissive and we're like, no, 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 it's over here. But with this tension here is hard to live in. But the tension is where we grow strong and it's where love grows strong and is truly, truly reflected. So let me use another illustration because it's Mother's Day. So if you have a healthy mama, and I'm gonna stop right there and say, I know that some of you did not have a healthy mama. And to that, I wanna say I'm so sorry. That's a bummer, I really is. Maybe you had a healthy daddy. Maybe you didn't have that either. And I'm sorry if that's your story because and I honestly should get some counseling and some therapy or some group, you know, people running just to help you sort that out in life because that can carry with you for decades. And all of us have some dysfunction, I'm sure. But maybe some of you, you never had a healthy mama or a healthy parents. But even if you didn't, you probably saw in maybe your friend's circle or somewhere close to you, you probably saw a healthy situation. You probably saw a healthy mama. You know what one looks like. You may wish you had it, but you know what it looks like. So let's kind of go there, okay? What's a healthy mama look like? A healthy mama, she's like, hey, I love you. Like, I carried you in my body for like nine months-ish. And your dad, he had the easy, we've been talking about what dad did. Forget dad. I carried you for nine months, and, and I, you came out, and it was not fun. And then I have fed you and nurtured you with myself. And then I have, oh my goodness, I have helped, I helped your boo-boos and your owies. And, and I'm there for you, and I sacrifice for you, and I serve you, and I will always be there for you. And if I was called upon to do so, I would die for you. And I sacrifice for you. Healthy mama. And she also says, hey, straighten up. Right? Hey, you don't talk to your sister or brother that way. Hey, no, no, listen, we don't treat people that way. In our neighborhood or in your school, or we don't do that. No, no, no! Don't put, don't put your finger in that. No, don't do that. No, don't don't go play, play out there. Okay, I'm gonna pull. You, I'm gonna take you away from there. If you're a teenager. You can't go to that event or hang out with that crowd. Why not? Because there is trouble. Here's some rules. Oh, you broke the rule. I'm gonna I'm gonna ground you. Why? Because th that could have been very consequential, and I don't want you to have that. So I'm gonna try to help you understand the seriousness of the situation. And I know that when you're a teenager and you're getting older and you're so close to adulthood that you feel the independence that you've been craving all your life, that when you get close, that you tend to, in that moment, say to your mom or somebody, you're like, you don't love me. If you love me, let me do what I want to do, you know. <laughs> and, and, and yet, once you get older, if you become a healthy adult, one day you look back and say, I was just a, I was dumb of me. Mom was right. I just, I was, I just, I know what I really wanted, you know. But, but at the time, you're like, ah, right. Now, hold on now. Here's what's happening, is you're sorting through this, this duality that mom carries of, I love you, I give anything for you, I die for you, but I'll kill you. No, I mean, I love you, but, um, but listen, but actions have consequences. And, and so we understand this. And that's what God's love is. God says, I love you. I gave you life. God says, I, I, I'm your maker. I've given you this world and I've put you in it. 
And I have sacrificed myself for you, died for you, love you, have served you. And I'm warning you, be careful. Watch out. Here's some instructions. Here's how to operate. Here's how this world works. And so love, God's love is deeper. Uh, Paul said in Ephesians that if you think you understand God's love, you, you, you don't. If, you, like, if you're the person in the room today saying, oh, no, I understand God's love better than anybody else, me and God. Here's the thing. You haven't scratched the surface that if you tried to do a deep dive, you couldn't get to the, the depth, the height, the width, or the breadth of God's love. It's just that much more amazing than we get it credit for being for ourselves or for anybody else. Usually for anybody else. His love is that amazing. So it's unconditional. Without condition. And at the same time, love says, don't play stupid games because I don't want you to win some stupid prizes. Okay? So if you, if you do play some stupid games, and you, here's the good news. If you, just for the record, if you play stupid games, you might not win a stupid prize. You might get lucky. You might dodge it. That's what happens sometimes. Like, woohoo, you know. But if you do happen to eventually win a stupid prize, don't blame the game, blame the player or something. I don't know. You know, be like, um, but here's the thing. But here's what love does. It comes alongside of you and says, oh, look at the prize you won. That's okay. Let's go home. We'll put it on a mantle in your bedroom and you can stare at it. But I'm going to sit by your bed and just talk to you because I love you so much because I love you no matter what. And also actions have consequences. See, God's warnings, and we read the scripture, we forget this sometimes. God's warnings are so much about this world he put us in and they're about horizontal consequences. Not so much about the vertical ones. And some of you are like theologically, technically it's about the vertical stuff and the eternal consequences. No, listen, Jesus showed, he took care of those on the cross. He paid for our sins. He took, he's like, look, look at me. I love you. Vertically, you will always be, I love you, period. Let's end that conversation. But now down here, you got some, you got some horizontal consequences. I'm going to warn you about how life works because I love you. So trust me and don't break my laws of nature. So I want to give you a Bible example. We're going to look at a Bible story in just a minute here to, wrap the, to end our time. But I want to give you a Bible verse to illustrate what I'm saying right now. And I can give you 50 Bible verses right now to illustrate this point. But for sake of time, I'll give you one. Otherwise, we'll really be here late. If you've been around church, you've probably seen this verse. It's in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul's talking to the church at Corinth. And he says, hey, run from sexual sin, he says. Run from sexual sin. Why? No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Now, if you're raised in, 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 in certain kinds of religion, you may hear that based on your personality or your upbringing as a very harsh verse. Like I was like, hey, get away from there. What's wrong with you? People, I can't stand you. Ah, look what you did, you little jerk. Like, you know, like, you know, this is like God's angry verse, you know. Run from sexual sin. You know, it's like a weighty. So if you've done it, you're like, oh, I'm so condemned. And if you've not done any sexual sin, then you're like, oh, don't hate me, God. But can you maybe just understand that we, we always get in trouble when we misassign tone. You ever send someone a text message and they get mad, they're like mad at you, like, why are you mad at me? You are so snarky. I wasn't being snarky. I can tell in your text. You're like, no, I should have told you face to face. I wasn't, we can misunderstand on social media or, or messages, someone's tone. I think sometimes we've been taught 
to, to, to hear God's tone a certain way. But what if his tone is like your mama's, your healthy mama's? What if he's like, hey, I love you so much. I, I, no matter what you do, I love you. But listen, hey, run from sexual sin because here's the deal. Any sin has consequences. Any bad choices, any unwise choices have consequences in life. But that one, those tend to be heavier. That one might get you a disease. That one might get you an unwanted pregnancy and change the course of your life. That one might, uh, well, if you're married, that one's going to wreck your home. That's going to hurt someone you, that you should be thinking of. Or that one should, look, isn't it true that most of us, if we were to bring out our biggest regrets and put them on the table, our darkest things that we carry, most of the time they deal with something with sexual behavior in our past, something that happened to us or by us or involving us or whatever it may be. God's like, look, everything has consequences, but this kind of thing, man, this can stick with a person. This can be something you carry for life. So I love you, but this, this is not a little drop-off. This is a cliff that when you come off the edge, it can leave a, it can, it can be brutal. So don't go taking selfies, dangling over the edge. Listen, get away. Just stand back a little further. Run from the God's just saying, I love you. And I'll love you if you fall because I love you, but I just don't want you to have to go through that. So run from things that will bring you and others harm. How you hear the tone of those verses, that verse might be influenced by your personality or your upbringing. And again, like with texting, it's dangerous and easy to misread tone. But how you hear the scriptures is important. Hear this whenever you hear someone preaching or teaching or your parents trying to tell you how about life or you open the Bible. God's love is unconditional. And actions have consequences. Both are true. And sometimes we doubt the vertical love because of the horizontal consequences. Sometimes we struggle in life because along the way something happens. So for example, if you were to destroy your body with drugs and alcohol, let's just pick on alcohol. You drink a lot and drink a lot and before it's over, you've destroyed your liver is just shot with alcohol poisoning. And you go to the doctor because you're having problems and they say it's, it's the you know, cirrhosis of the liver or whatever it may be. And it was because of that. And you come to get, say, but God, I understand. I, you know, I, maybe I stopped years ago or whatever, but I, I, I thought, you, you know, I love you. I thought you loved me. God's like, I do. I loved you all since you were, all your life. I loved you before. I loved you while you were, you know, drinking your health away. And I love you now that you're struggling with a bad liver. I love you. Okay, that's not even what we're talking about here. But this is how bodies work. This is how life goes. This is, this is how, you, how you treat yourself. I mean, it's just part of the world I put you in. Or let's pick on somebody else because not just the, the, that. If you eat too much sugar and you're going to be prone, like I could be to type 2 diabetes because of the, of the family genetics from, coming from eating poorly. And you do it anyhow and you, and you drive yourself into a diabetic state and then over the course of time your body is taking the consequences of the medicines that come to deal with that or the cost of the sugar. And you're like, oh, I don't know why I'm suffering. Pray for me, God, I thought you loved me. God's like, I do love you. Even when you were doing that to yourself, I always love you. But there is a cause and effect in, world, in, the life, in life, in every area. So I, I'm just trying to say we know this. And yet some of us, we struggle because maybe someone was like, giving us a picture of God as if he's like the old man yelling at the clouds, get off my lawn. And so we are like, oh, God doesn't love me if I'm not. Or others of us have just thought, you know, God has no opinion. He just loves everybody. Just back off, man. He does love unconditionally. And he gave us life and he gave us a world where actions have consequences and there's natural, spiritual, physical laws that we live in. And his love helps warn us. So back to our attention bands. Both of these concepts are true. 
Should have put those back on the screen, shouldn't I? Both of those things are true. Um, and they stretch us, right? But here's the danger. I want to warn you of something here. If you've been around a little while, be careful. If you get tempted to let go of either of these pillars, these two true statements, if you get let go of either one of them, there can be a backlash. There can be a backlash that can hurt you or someone standing near you, right? If we let go of the idea of God's love, not that we deny that God is love is unconditional. We, we admit that, but we want to decide that we don't want to make a big deal about that because people will get the idea they can do whatever they want to do. So we are all about the actions of consequences that we let go of the unconditional love big message. That snapback can cause consequences to us and to others, and it has. People and churches that focus on that too much, the the hard side, they have seen people walk, who won't come to faith because they're like, man, God, there's no mercy there. There's no goodness there. Or people who have walked away after years or decades from the burden of that mindset. Or people who have become good little religious trolls. Or people who just live trying to do the right thing under the bondage and fear all their lives of, am I okay with God? Does God really like me very much? And always afraid and always trepidatious. Don't let go of that unconditional love. I know it's tension here. Maybe you see people you think are being too permissive, so you want to focus on the other, but the snapback can hurt. Or maybe you want to let go of the other because you're tired of seeing people abuse others and how they live with, in the name of God, so you let go of actions have consequences that God just loves, and you're going to be careful. You're going to hurt yourself or somebody else from understanding that part of love is the warning, is the instruction, is the guidance, is helping you navigate how life works. And I know that this can be harder to do sometimes, but the tension makes us strong. It makes love strong. It shows how strong love really is in its truest form. Both need to be embraced. Warning someone is love, as is being there in the aftermath of good or bad choices, doesn't matter, that is love. So I'm going to show you a story, then we're going to be done. And I've got to take a few minutes to tell the story, so hang with me. This will be our big story for the day. Jesus, when he walked this earth in John chapter 8, verse 1, there's a story that says that he returned to the Mount of Olives, Jesus did, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. Now, Jesus did miracles wherever he went. People flocked to him. They flocked to him because of his... Um, of his work, and they wanted to see what he would do next. They wanted to be in his presence. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And they're hanging on his every word. Are you with me? In the temple, large crowd listening to Jesus. Verse 3. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. Now, this is awkward. Because she's been brought right in front of a crowd full of people after being caught in the act of, the very act, which is also terribly embarrassing. And I know that as you read this story, and we know the story, most of us are very sympathetic to the woman here. Because who we really don't like is the jerk religious people who dragged her out here, right? So we're sympathetic towards her. And, and, that we, sh and, and we will be, but before we do, can we just for a minute step back and admit she did a pretty bad thing? I mean, come on now. Let's not downplay adultery. If you would be tempted to do that, how would you like it if you found out your spouse was cheating on you or had another lover and you didn't know? We'd be like, oh, that's okay. Great. Right? It's a serious deal. She was hurting her husband 
or the wife of the man she was sleeping with. There are people who probably are very much shocked, hurt deeply, angry, and all the emotions, because this is a big, look, run from sexual sin. We just saw that, right? And she was running into it. It's a big deal to be an adulterer. She was being, was she being a homewrecker? What's going on here? But here's what happens. She's dragged in front of Jesus in this crowd of people. And now she's embarrassed. She was caught in the act. And it's not just being caught. It's being brought into the temple in front of Jesus and everybody else staring at her. And the people who brought her said to her, said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? i got to quickly pause here and say, yes, the law of Moses says that. This is why I've been trying to say over and over again throughout this year in our Bible journey that it's very dangerous how Christians grab the whole Bible and just like try to grab something from anywhere in the Bible, including the Hebrew Scriptures, as a leverage point to tell people how to live their lives because you can't stand the scrutiny of everything the Hebrew Scriptures say. We, don't live, we, we couldn't live by that. We wouldn't want to, okay? So just back off the, the Bible-thumping rails before you use a verse to clobber someone with because there's some hard things in the Bible, especially in the ancient Hebrew Scriptures. When the slaves are coming out of Egypt and are given laws to govern their new nation by, one of their laws that was put in place was if someone commits adultery, stone them to death. And that's hard to even comprehend, and, we, and, and, and nor do I think any of us would advocate that. Nor did anyone in Jesus' day, but it was in the book. So they're like, Jesus, the law says the stone, or what do you say? And Jesus is in a tough spot now. In fact, it says in the next verse that they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. In other words, what they were doing was they were saying, what, what's your answer? And if Jesus would have said, oh, no, let her off the hook, they'd have been like, oh, 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 oh you call yourself a teacher of the law of God. You, you call yourself from God, a preacher, or in today's terms, a pastor, and, and you don't stand by what the word says? We have a Bible verse. Do you not believe the Bible? I mean, they could have just, he would, he would have torn apart, lose your influence, because they have a verse. And how could he call himself who he said he was and deny the authority of the Bible, of the scriptures that they were quoting. But on the other hand, if he said, yeah, that stoner, <laughs> he'd have lost the crowd because no one, that's just, no one's doing that anymore. And they're like, what? That seems kind of harsh. I don't fucking stand. I'm, 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 I'm tapping out. He would have lost his influence. Now, that's what the people who brought the woman wanted to happen. They wanted him to lose the, the crowd, quite honestly. And by the way, I just got to take this little side note real quick and say, this is why you should be careful when people, especially religious people, try to pull you into their culture war battles on social media or other places. What's your stand on this hot button issue? Speak up. Who's that? You're like, just stay out. Because people who are doing that, they have an agenda. They, they're looking to divide. And there's no win in that. There's no win. Because no matter which way you go, you're going to have someone... Just stay out of the culture war stupidity that people try to pull you into. They do it to me all the time. Where are we gonna, where's our stand here? And I'm like, I don't well, love people and point them to God who can do all the work that I can't do anyhow. Can you just let me do that? No, we want to know what you feel about this one hot issue. Oh, well, sorry. You know, but they're doing this to Jesus. They were wanting to get him in the fray of a tough conversation. And so what does Jesus do? It says he, he stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. Which my first thought is, man, that temple floor was for Dusty. They need to hire a new janitor. Anyhow, the people who brought her, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, all right. But let the one of you who's never sinned throw the first stone. Okay, fine, you got your verse. Let's be Bible people now. 
He's going to do what we all ought to do. What part of the Bible are you not keeping? Okay, whichever of you is not sin, throw the first stone at her. Go ahead. And then it says, then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And I'm just curious what he's writing in the dust. Like, what's he writing? It doesn't say, but I want to imagine that maybe he's kind of, he's, he's Jesus, he knows everything. Maybe he's writing what their sin's down. Whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. Let's see, Larry's committing adultery too, but no one knows about that yet. And Tom's got a dirty old mind. Let's talk about that for a minute here. And Joe, he's anger, anger issues. He beats his wife or his kids. I mean, he's a real jerk. I mean, at some point, he just starts writing things down. I don't know what he's writing. But it says when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And she must be relieved because she was doing something wrong and she was caught and now she is being, she thought she was going to be killed possibly there for a minute. So she's got to be relieved. But then relief quickly turns to dread. Oh yeah, but I'm still standing here in front of Jesus and a whole bunch of people who are sitting there like we are staring at her. Now what? And Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are, you, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Where'd they go? I don't see them. You know? Where, where are your condemners? Does anyone condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And what happens next is the point of my sermon I've been trying to make all day today, but I want you to follow along. No, Lord, she said. And what Jesus next says is, well, that's okay. I can. I'm Jesus. So where's the stones? I can throw them. He says, neither do I. Now, time out, Jesus. I understand you're getting those other people off her back, but you're again supposed to be from God. You're supposed to be the one that stands by. That's your word, according to you. So, where, you, can't, you can't say no condemnation here. You can't say there's no condemnation. This is time to, you gotta speak up. This is the chance, it's a teaching moment. People are listening. What are they gonna think is okay if you don't speak the truth and make a strong stand right now? And Jesus looks at her in this moment of humiliation and dread and horror and says to her, listen to me. I took care of the hot issue and now you're here and now you're afraid of what happens next. I want you to know I have no condemnation for you. That's God. I love you. And then he says to her, now, go and sin no more. And how you read that last phrase depends on probably your background. You might be here, go and sin no more. Ah. I think that's like, hey, listen, I love, I, there's no condemnation. I get, look, life happens, but listen, go do better. You, you had to know when you were doing that 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 could turn out poorly. You probably didn't imagine it turned out this poorly, but, but, but listen, just... You have a fresh chance. This is behind you. This is a bad moment, but you're going to leave here and, and let your healing begin. Go start over. Do better for yourself. I want better for you. Look, I have no condemnation. Now, can I give you a word of advice on your way out? Go be better. You'll be glad you did. Everyone will be glad you did. Go sin no more. Now, let me just tease it out a little step further. What if she would have gone out and committed adultery a couple years later and Jesus would have been around again? They would have brought her in front of Jesus again, like, oh, this again. Some of us actually have a theology almost that says the next time he would have been like, I can't believe I gave you a chance. Now there's condemnation. I believe that it would have happened again. Jesus would have said to her the second time, we got the, calm the temperature down in the room. Look at me, girl. I have no condemnation for you still. But hey, come on now. Don't you want more from life? Don't you want better for yourself? 
Come on, go and sin no more. God's love is unconditional. Actions have consequences. I pray that no matter your background or your experiences with the Christian faith, that you can embrace these two important truths today, surrounded by the overarching idea that God at his core and centric value is love. And if nothing else, think of mom today on Mother's Day. Look, if we as parents can understand this concept and how we raise our kids, and look, we as parents get it wrong, okay? We don't want to admit it to our kids, but we get it wrong because we, we pay, we're fearful and sometimes we're proud. We're like, you know, embarrass my name or you, you didn't respect me, you have to follow my rules. We get stupid things. We make it about us instead of just saying, let me help you. We, we, we get in the way of ourselves sometimes because we're, trying to, we're scared, we're trying to do the best we can. If we as imperfect parents understand this idea of loving unconditionally and sacrificially and also the actions have consequences and we gotta warn and help. If we understand that ourselves as imperfect parents, how much more your Father in heaven can love you unconditionally and at the same time say to you, I want the best for you. So as I close today, I want to remind you of another, not a Bible verse, but another important line from another very deeply important source, Shania Twain. 25, 30 years ago, country music. Are you ready for that? No? She had a song back in the day, Don't Be Stupid, You Know I Love You. Remember that one? Don't be stupid, you know I love you. Okay, now I'm going to put an earworm in your head today. Some of you old people can go back and remember that. And your kids are like, who? Who is that? I don't know, some old lady. I don't know. That's Mother's Day. She's a mom, so give me a break. Anyhow, here's what I want to say, tongue in cheek, but here's what I want to say today. From now on, whenever you read the Bible, Whenever you sit in church and hear a sermon, whenever you hear your parents trying to say, hey, here's how we're supposed to live, I want you to hear the voice of them. I want you to hear the voice of God as he talks to you about, about your life. I want you to hear it this way. I want you to hear him saying, hey, you know I love you. You know I love you. But come on, man. So don't be stupid. I also love you, but, but man, I want better. I love you. You know I love you. Don't be stupid. And you're like, well, Arlen, too late for me. I've won a whole bunch of stupid prizes. I got a vest full of them. They're full of, I'm mean, the most just decorated stupid prize winner in the world. So does God not love me? Or is he upset with me? He probably, he probably just looks at me with like contempt or puts me out of his peripheral. His heart is probably strained towards me. I'm not so sure he loves me. I want you to hear God's voice say, hey, don't be stupid. You know I love you. Or if I can say it this way, God loves you no matter what. God wants the best for you. And those, contra- those are not contrarian ideas, no matter how much we get pushed one way or the other to think this. God loves you no matter what, and God wants the best for you. And that's the tension. And that is not unreasonable. It's right. It's truth. Hey, give mama that grace. She birthed you, sacrificed for you, would give everything for you, would die for you most likely, and she cares for you. Give your maker that grace. God gave you life and sacrificed for your spiritual needs and laid it all down, and he cares for you. Hear the instructions and the warnings from a healthy place and trust the heart behind the words. And if we can do that, I think we can navigate and live in the tension of strong, heavenly love.